Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts and let's get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the major places where you can find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. You can connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's roasting fools on Twitter like Chris Del Conte. Kyle Carpenter, Kyle, how are you? You know, uh, if I could be as good as Chris Del Conte, the, the ability to to weigh like patience with subtle, um, absolute pinpointed searing is uh, is so great. Um, I, uh, I, you know, I, I would love Crystal Conti just to take that Twitter to the next level. If he could start live tweeting, you know, some cultural phenomenon, like you know, I guess. Thursday, uh, when this podcast come out, is the the finale of Netflix's hit "Love Is Blind." Uh, if if he can, you know, live tweet "Love Is Blind," uh, I feel like we can really take Texas's uh, Twitter following to the next level because he's already he's already a master. But uh, you know, if we can if we can if we can finish the age gap and just get all the uh, the sixteen to nineteen year old, uh, mostly women, well, and I guess my my wife who's thirty, um, who watch that show, then then we've really we've really sewn it up. I've I really got nothing to follow that with, other than maybe don't publicize your wife's age like that. That's probably I I know uh, the newlywed situation, uh, but you know I just want to impart that wisdom to you, Kyle. Um, yeah, Gerald, I'll just give you a piece. You can you can uh, you can fix it in 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 post. Just uh, when when I say her actual age, just do a uh, do a uh, a sound clip of I don't know a Vince interview or maybe a we're back or something. We'll we'll put a famous Texas quote, uh, Craig Way over it. Something so you can't actually hear what uh, what I said, so that way she doesn't uh, doesn't injure me in my sleep. Here's what we can do: I, we can both pause. You can give me a clean audio of you saying whatever age you want. No, I'm just joking. Uh, no. So uh, we've got another one of our retrospectives for you. We're moving on through. We've got the linebackers to talk about today. A group that was honestly problematic for Texas. In 2019, one of the big gaps on the defense outside of the injury woes is probably the lack of depth at linebacker. Now, we say that, but Joseph Osai, who played that hybrid B-backer role uh, under uh, Todd Orlando's defense, was, led the team in, in tackles with 90 tackles, 62 solo, 13 and a half tackles for loss, leading the team there, five sacks, leading the team there. So, um, But outside of Osai, you've got uh, freshman Iodele Adeoe, who's number five on the team in total tackles. Jawan Mitchell, who missed two games, is number seven on the team. Uh, a guy that we thought could have a decent year but ended up kind of struggling and dealing with some injuries and just getting kind of jumped on the depth chart uh Jeff McCullough got 28 tackles after missing three games minimal contributions from guys like Benda and Vons who probably have a ton of upside and then we had the medical retirement of DeGabriel Floyd all in this season so Texas didn't get a ton of production uh guys that they were looking to depend on didn't necessarily step up or were had to Got to be sidelined due to injury. So when you look back at the story of the Texas defense and the linebackers specifically, this feels like a a lot of missed opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a good way to say it. I think, I, I mean, I'd have to go back and listen, but I think we flagged, 
our area of concern coming into the season for this defense um, or for this team as being the defense. But I, I, I think we may have been a little bit more confident of, of what they could do. We really thought with having a senior in, in Shark and, and McCullough um, and with the with the talent, you know, that Osai seemed to, to bring, that they, we were cautiously optimistic. I don't, I mean, I remember us flagging it as an area to watch. I don't think we went out on any limbs that will get us on freezing cold takes. Um, but I think if you listen to every other podcast from, you know, anywhere in about the third week of the season on, um, th- this was the area that, that we were we were lamenting. Um, not alone. <laughs> not alone. We'll talk about defensive backs. We've already talked about defensive line. Um, I, I do think that some tough recruiting classes, some tough production um, some tough injuries in this case when you know your, your most senior linebacker in McCullough goes out but you know he himself missed a few few tackles and in, in, in addition to a few games so I mean it, it it was a tough year in a tough scheme that really stretches that role we will talk at length about what we think for next year but to look back you can't write off a group where probably your best player on your unit, you know, on the defense, Joseph Osai, played, right? You can't say the linebackers were just terrible, awful. But you had a guy playing out of position who just happened to be a freak, right? He's that good that he could make. He could have been a pretty good cornerback, right? Like, he could have been a pretty good defensive tackle. Anywhere you put him, he probably would have done pretty well. I think Dele had a couple moments. I think Juwan Mitchell, who... I am excited that he will be on the team next year. There was uh, some some uncertainty about that. Um, has a chance to to step up and have himself a Gary Johnson senior year next year. But I think had a had a pretty good year. You know, uh, missed a couple games himself. But but when he especially got it going towards the end of the season, right? It probably not entirely coincidentally the time the defense got an uptick from where it had been unspeakably bad, just to you know pretty pretty okay. Um, and you don't have a lot of players to talk about. It isn't like years past where you have, you know, seven different guys who saw meaningful minutes at linebacker and you rotated a one deep, a two deep, and you had guys on special teams just waiting to go. If someone went down, you knew they could step in and get eight tackles a game. It, it really isn't that. Um, but all of that said, <sighs> this is still an area I watch with 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 fingers over my eyes um for next year and and for looking when we look at who comes back but um it is not that there is no talent it is it is it is that there are talented players who who were stretched to the extent of probably their 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 best place to play in some cases and in their age in other cases when you talk about Dele and uh, Joseph Osai who are growing into their college football bodies at a position that you need to be fast strong tough big quick smart like it just requires so much because you're close to the line but you're expected to get back you're expected to get downhill and stop the run with a three-man front just a lot is expected of this position and if you don't have the exact right parts it's the position that gets that gets shown uh, with the brightest spotlight in Todd Orlando's defense. We talked about it a lot. This, The defense in that 3-3-5 is kind of predicated on how well do your linebackers and how well do your safeties play. And the linebackers were hit and miss, I think is the best way to say it this year. Uh, like you said, Osai had a really good year, but then past that it was kind of it was, it was intermittent. 
And I think a guy that I liked a lot from what I saw from him, uh, at least on the field, was, like you said, Jawan Mitchell, who is likely going to step in as the number one guy next year. Like, he's going to come out of the spring as a presumptive starter uh, at the linebacker spot. You know, he'll have a rotation, but, I mean, you've got Dele that'll be playing there. Uh, David Benda and Brian Vaughns are two guys that got sent home from the bowl game uh, for, you know, an undisclosed violation of team rules. Could have been uh, missed. They could have missed a bed check. They also could have done about a thousand different other things with a... When... (laughs) You don't expect those guys to play and they miss a bed check. You send them home to be like, yeah, it's fine. Uh, but that allowed a guy like Court Jockwis to have a, an incredible breakout game. Uh, a lot of his production came early, but he's a high motor guy. Five tackles in that in that matchup. And so there are... I'm interested to see what spring looks like with this new look because it's going to it's going to presumptively be like a base 425, right? You don't run anything else in the Big 12. If you have four down linemen, you're only going to have two linebackers in there, which is helpful um depth issues. It kind of kind of covers over some of those depth issues where you only got two guys on the field. If you've got eight guys that can play, then you've got a you've got a rotation. So I think that's a little helpful. Um and then you've got Overshown moving down from uh, from safety to linebacker, so that's big. I I put in the show notes Dorba and Jalen Ford arriving on campus. I would prefer if neither of those guys saw the field next year, at least see your see your four game minimum uh and then take a seat. But I think that's a group that, you know, in a 4-2-5 defense, what you presume would be there. Um, it's a group that can get a lot of production and a lot. Again, I think the sideline to sideline speed is going to be the big issue, and that's why they move Overshone down. I think that's a great point. I think Overshone is a perfect Big 12 linebacker. I think he, he would be small in a 1990s Big 12, you know, of course. Um, I think he's perfect for the time and place and just being a fast guy who likes to hit and moving him a little closer to the line. I, I, I think he's going to he's gonna fit in there in there well, but there's going to be a learning curve. But the thing is, for all of these guys, there's a learning curve with a new scheme. Basically, the jack position will, will move Vaughns and Osai out of this group and into, as we talked about uh, last week in the defensive line preview, into the defensive line grouping. So you're really looking at Dele, Jawan Mitchell as your returners with Benda, who's played a little bit. I mean, he was probably more well-known as one-time our I don't know, our, our fourth string emergency break glass in case of absolute terror running back. Um, but uh, a, a guy who I don't think should be mentioned a lot in here, but may in some of these previews just based on how the year ended, Court Jock was. I think Court is a guy who the coaches love. They love to have him on the team, preferred walk-on, a standout scout team player of the week every year or uh, player of the week every week and probably – Herman said scout team player of the year, but he was perfect for a team that wanted to run the ball. Um, maybe by the end of the season when we play Oklahoma State, if they're just feeding Chuba, he might get a play there. But again, in the Big 12, I don't necessarily see him as the ideal every down player. He has packages. He may help in a goal line. Maybe, you know, a team that really is game planning that way and you need to adjust. But I don't know that he's on the starting line, but is a name that, that, that you may hear. Um, I don't think Dorba or Ford have... To Gabriel Floyd's like he can step in from high school and just play with no doubt with you know Malik Jefferson had some of that um, but I, I don't know that either of them have that day one I think Dorba has a chance to be really really good but like you said why burn it if you don't need it it's thin enough that you might like both of those guys Gerald may play 
and they may play a good amount and it's not ideal um how quickly they you know they can form to the college level into the fire um will will be interesting but uh but yeah i think this position also changes a lot in the expectation next year um when you look at a three linebacker with four linemen in front of them what they're expected to do um the you know the amount of help they get like setting the edge no longer uh is so critical when you only have three guys you uh you now have another big body up there to help you know, move a running back outside um, to help you get, you know, an extra two yards to get downhill on, right? Like it just, it changes some of the focal points of where the game is ultimately won or lost. So I, I think even though um, we focus a lot in the defensive line preview about how the new defensive uh, alignment should affect it, I think it should have just almost just as big of an impact, um, if not more, based on how it was in the last scheme um, on how this, this unit is productive going into next season. And I think it's going to let the linebackers focus because last year they, there was a lot of thinking to do as a linebacker, whether it was, am I in run support? Am I in pass support? Who am I covering? What's, what's my role where, because you know, you've got your, um, your defensive ends playing a little more inside. So now that you're moving your defensive ends out a bit, they're going to be able to, hopefully generate a bit more of a pass rush so your linebackers can play a little more free. They can play a little uh, looser. And so I'm interested to see what shakes out. They are going to miss Dele for the spring. He's out with a broken foot. So that'll be a guy that we look for in the fall. But I would also anticipate Texas looking for a junior college transfer uh, or a grad transfer to come in and kind of pad these numbers. So I'll end it with this, Kyle. Going into spring practice in the spring game, what do you want to see from this linebacker group for you to feel okay heading into 2020? I want to see a defensive unit that has, you know, we talked about the defensive line. Everyone's a year older. That's the same here. Um, and, and with defensive backs, everyone most are a year older. I want to see a linebacker unit that doesn't stick out. It's not glaring. There's no, oh, they're great except for, right? No except fours. They don't need to necessarily get four sacks in the game from linebackers. They don't necessarily need three big hits in the backfield on our, you know, great running backs, but let's not rough them up before the season. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they don't, uh, it, it isn't that I don't need, uh, I actually McCullough looks great in the spring game last year with interception, but they don't need to be picking off three passes. You know, if Overshone wants to show that he can get interceptions from the linebacker level, I wouldn't be mad about that. But um, just that it goes out in the unit looks cohesive that they, you know, they there is no major letdown between what I think is a really good defensive line and a linebacker unit. So just that they look like they belong to be there, and like I said, there's no except fours. And I think that's that's a fair expectation. And I, I want to see some of these these younger guys. I want to see really overshown as the guy I want to see his development because you and I talked a lot about a safety kind of moving their way down. Overshone's not the one I expected, but now that he's there, can he handle the increased mass? Can is he is his speed still there? Because that's what Texas needs in that linebacker spot is some sideline to sideline speed and someone that can make explosive plays at the linebacker spot. And so I think Overshone is one of the two guys that we kind of highlighted as potential. And so I want to see what his play looks like with an extra few pounds on his frame with some more Yancey on him. I also want to see what a guy like David Benda is able to do. He's going to get an opportunity uh, with Dele out. So it's probably going to be um, 
Jawan Mitchell and Benda, I, I don't know, in those linebacker spots. I'm not really sure what that group looks like. So just kind of getting an insight under what the heck that linebacker group looks like under Chris Ash's new system. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I think you're absolutely and 100% spot on. And the thing we talked about last week in the fluid defensive positions for our Jack position and whoever else, um, I think applies here. There could be other players who move a little bit. There could be BJ Foster's out for the spring, but there could be a position for him up closer to the line. There could be, right? We have some hitters uh, at the back who could end up playing inside, outside, and then we'll talk in our, our preview next week, but could move down and have a look where we have multiple defensive backs. They, they have enough fluid talent, and I think that was one of the things – if injuries hadn't derailed it last year that we hope to see from Orlando, move some people around, use your team speed, get some extra defensive backs out there, do whatever. So I think, you know, to go one more on top of predictions, I just want to see, and you're not going to see it all in the spring game, but I want to see what Ash can do, right? By the LSU game, like, let's see what you have, you know, let's see some of the looks. Like, what is this defense going to be? So we'll see a little bit of a sneak peek in the, in the spring preview or in the spring game uh, to preview what that might look like. So we will continue with our retrospectives next week, looking at the defensive backfield and then spring practice is right around the corner. So we'll have updates as that goes, but we're excited to see what Texas looks like uh, in the spring with this new look defense. All right, Gerald. So that now brings us to our favorite part of the week. Uh, Your favorite part, my favorite part, your grandmother's favorite part. This is everyone's special time where they take a look at the world through burnt orange lenses. And uh, not a ton this week, but all good ones. Everything I got is just solid gold, baby. Um, I'm going to start with just a a wonderful story that uh, Danny Davis, the Austin American statesman, actually broke. Uh, I believe he's the first one to report this, but uh, uh, pitcher Pete Hansen, we talked about him. Um, he's he's uh, you know came out his first five innings at Texas sub one ERA, he's thrown some good stuff. Um, looks like he's gonna feature a lot this season as a freshman. Um, probably weekday starter could you know could nip at the heels of a third day three starter. Could be you know next year's number one starter if his you know trajectory keeps to the point that they think it can be just a really really good player um gerald the story on him goes that uh, they asked coach pierce how uh, you know what what he thought of him during the recruiting trial how he came about him and uh, pierce said that he uh, ut looked into hansen after he got a quote, I can't believe Texas isn't recruiting this guy tweet. Um, so it just goes to show, um, while we talk about Del Conte shutting down the trolls, if you have something valuable to add, please, by all means, tweet it at the uh, the requisite uh, tw- Twitters, you know, the appropriate Twitters, uh, and get the, the best of the best on the 40 acres. Twitter is used for some terrible things every day, and so I love seeing coaches connecting with guys uh, that need a spot, and so it's great that Hanson found a spot. I love it. Yeah, and and he's in the right place. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna call this next uh, section, Gerald. Even though we're in the burnt orange lenses, I'm gonna call this the burnt green or really not even the burnt green just the straight green because we're gonna talk a little bit of money right here Gerald I know we all like to uh we all like to talk about it money is one of those things you always discuss discuss with your coworkers, your friends your family along with politics and religion money but we're gonna talk about money and we're gonna use the segue of the uh the best segment since we're talking social media um out there each week the hustle 
Gerald, did you watch episode two of uh, UT Football's The Hustle? I did. I did. Connected them with local business leaders. I absolutely love it. I, I do absolutely love it. When they get to podcast ideas and they reach out to us and we come and give our expertise, it's going to be even better. They may um, have missed us this week, but I, you know they had some heavy hitters in there. Um, and I just, again, continue to love this premise. Everyone needs to go uh, and watch this. And like I said, truly, these kids you know, are learning how to be entrepreneurs, how to make money, even either after their their professional careers or in lieu of for the whatever the statistic is now, 90 some percent that go pro in something other than their their sport of choice. But uh, again, just just the best part about UT football um, oftentimes is the the part where they develop these young men into successful um, men for the next 70 years of their life. As Mac Brown said, don't let winning a football, a national title game be the thing that defines your life. Um, Gerald, let's talk about big, big money. The, the, do you see how much the men's basketball, we talk about practice, practice, man, facility went for. Not a game, not a game, not a game, not a game, (laughs) but 60 mil. That's right, man. 60, uh, 60 mil. I do like though. You have to remember it's the basketball and rowing, uh, practice facility. So it's, you know, it's multi-purpose really. If you split it that way, it's only 30 million, uh, per sport. But, um, again, we keep getting to have these stories and I absolutely love it. Of Crystal Conti, um, coming on campus, hearing maybe it was from someone's Twitter, uh, that the facility facilities were, were not up to speed. There was someone better. And of course, seeing them with his own eyes, um, and just, Going out there and doing that thing, um, Cooley Pavilion is is a place I've actually got to spend a little bit of time in during my time on the Forty Acres, and I actually um, got to well inside baseball. I got to work in uh, the the uh, Denton Cooley uh, facility in the in the Texas Medical Center as well. So talk about your career coming full circle, but that'll actually be the along with the Irwin Center, the Cooley Pavilion will be part of the uh, medical school expansion um, and will not be there anymore. So they had to do something and they uh, announced that project in a 75,000 square foot um, facility adjacent to their new Moody Center. Um, so I guess 60 million for 75,000 square feet. I don't know the math on that, but seems like they got a deal. The big question was like, "What is Texas basketball? Is it <laughs> is it an is it an also run, ran or is it a legitimate sport?" And so I think the money that they're spending on the new arena and the practice facility, they're not treating it as an also ran. So maybe hopefully they can get some not also also ran uh, <laughs> production out of them. Uh, that's a really good point. The last thing I'm gonna I'm gonna belear on this on this point is Gerald. I, in all the the reporting I saw on this, I don't know that it has been announced with a name, unless it's also the Moody Center. But I don't know if it's been benefactored and named. So again, we bring it back. Tweet at Chris Del Conte and suggest that this is the the Longhorn Republic men's basketball practice facility. Um, you know, you could even go the burn orange nation if you'd like, but, but let's, uh, let's get our, uh, let's get our name on this thing before it's, uh, before it's, it's snatched up. The only way that would happen is if it's like, uh, when Enron field opened and then the same year, the Enron scandal happened. And so it was just <laughs> unnamed baseball field for a while. Yeah. That's the only. That's the only way that would happen. Not to give away my entire LinkedIn, but I now work in in the Enron building, and oftentimes I think about it. I work at Chevron, and I think about the uh, the fact that that I'm sitting where 
I don't think my particular office on that particular floor is where the the that the schemes were hatched. But uh, it is funny. It is interesting to uh, to to think about. Let's talk. Speaking of dudes just snatching up money, uh, I am segueing today. Uh, the assistant coaches' salaries. I didn't see all of them, but a, a good chunk of them came out uh, this week. Um, and we'll start right at the top. Uh, new offensive coordinator Mike Mike Yersitz, Gerald is. Um, a man who can afford to to try a couple different breakfast tacos in Austin, right? I'll I'll, I'll put it uh, I'll put it that way. He signed a three year one point seven million per uh, deal to be the offensive coordinator that gets to coach Sam Ellinger. Gerald, pretty good money, pretty solid money. And first of all, nobody should be paying three or four dollars for a breakfast taco. <laughs> Someone's abuelita is rolling over in her grave right now thinking about <laughs> someone paying that much for a breakfast taco. But I honestly, and not to spoil your next point, but I think it's really interesting that uh, the OC and DC salaries from last year basically flipped. It it, it clearly pays to uh, to be on a to be on a unit that the uh, that the head coach who was there before you prioritize is that how that worked chuck strong was a defensive guy defensive guy who came in after him got paid herman was an offensive guy offensive coordinator comes in after him gets paid i don't know if there's something to there um but it seems like it might be but just on the breakfast taco note gerald if you haven't had valentina's um which is a tex-mex barbecue place in austin uh they do a brisket breakfast taco that i would pay 25 dollars for it's so stinking good had it this past weekend just really uh, really good. Also, a little Veracruz all natural. You know, you can. We could have our, our separate breakfast tacos today podcast. I would encourage all of you to uh, to to tweet at us if you want that, and we can do a special one off uh, episode. But nonetheless, you did mention Chris Ash making three years, eight hundred k again. Terrible. Feel bad for the guy. Um, but as you move down the, uh, the the rest of the list, the talked about linebackers in our preview earlier. The linebackers coach also has the co. DC tag uh, Coleman Hutzler is, is not terribly far behind Chris Ash at a two-year six hundred thousand a year salary, and then uh, Jay Bulware, who's the tight ends as well as special teams coach, coming in at three years seven hundred k per year. Again, Gerald, I feel bad for all of them. That's uh, that's walking around money. It's a little walking around <laughs> money. Just throw a little in your pocket and see what happens. I got nothing else, G. That's uh, that's it for me. I love it. Well, that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also find the Texas Pregamer on Twitter at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. You can catch me on my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds. You can catch it wherever you find found this podcast. You can catch us there as well. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time. Hook him. Hook him. Don't tweet at Crutes. Don't tweet at the AD.